Thank you for taking the time to listen to this life-changing message from the ministry of Faith Bible Chapel. We hope this message will encourage you in all parts of your life. At the end of this message, you will hear more information on how to contact our church family, as well as directions for you to visit us for any of our worship services. Until then, join us for the service in progress. We've called this When People Meet Jesus because I believe as we walk with God, He meets us at different places in our lives. He meets you on the mountaintop. He meets you in the valley. He meets you at the crossroads. He meets you every day of your life. There are some of these meetings with God that that you need Him and that anchor us back to, I remember when God met with me here. And I remember when God spoke to me here. And I remember when God changed me and challenged me here. I remember the Sunday that God revealed something in my heart that I didn't even know was there. And it's a moment when people meet Jesus. When we meet Jesus, he's always challenging. He's always leading. He's always embracing us. He's always calling us to a higher standard. He's always loving on us more and more and more. He's always pouring out his, his riches and his grace and his kindness on us. Every day there is more of Jesus to be experienced and met. Do you agree with that? And so we're looking at this different accounts in scriptures when people encountered Jesus and what happened in their lives. How did they respond to him and how did he respond to them? And so how, how is all of this working in our lives and what practically can we take and walk away from, from it with it today? And so I want you to approach it this way. It's kind of like if you're sitting at a coffee shop and Jesus walks into the coffee shop, pulls out a chair, you look up and it's Jesus. And he sits down, and he just starts to talk to you. He just starts to ask you about, hey, how are you doing? What's going on in your life? And that's really what I want this series to be about is Jesus just pulling up a chair and talking to you. Because God loves everyone, but I'm telling you, God loves you. He knows your name. He knows everything about you. He knows what you're dealing with. And when we look at these stories, yes, we see that, that they are looking for Jesus. But as you get into it, you realize Jesus has always been looking for them. And he meets them. And so we're talking about this whole idea when people meet Jesus. I, I, I know we've just heard this passage. I'm going to read the beginning of it before we get into just have five points today about what happens when people meet Jesus. But let's read out of Mark 10. And I'm just going to read just the first half of this. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before Jesus. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, so I want you to take note of that. He said, you know the commandments. He was talking to the young man. You shall not murder. I want you to take note of these. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. And you shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Now notice he didn't give all ten. Interesting. Teacher, he declared, all these I've kept. I've done them all since I was a boy. And Jesus looked at him. Now listen to this. And loved him. But then he said this, one thing you lack, he said. Go sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. And so this question this rich young ruler asked actually, actually is the question that, that is the most, inqu- the most important question any of us could ever ask 
ever in our lives. He asks this question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And before anything else can change in your life, you got to answer that question. you got to know what the answer to that question is. You can, you can jump through every hoop. You can, um, you can go through every program. You can, you can be the most religious person on the planet. You can dress right. You can walk right. But if your heart has not been changed by the power and the reality of what Jesus has done on the cross, my friend, you're lost. You're lost. You, may, you can have the greatest facade on the planet, but if your heart has not been changed, you can keep these commandments, but if you haven't embraced a relationship with Jesus Christ, that, that question is not answered for you. That's why one of our core purposes here as a church is that people would know God. Unless you know God, nothing else matters in life. And this is the question that this young, rich ruler asked Jesus, what must I do to inherit and eternal life. And so when he does this, God doesn't take the question. He actually goes deeper and begins to deal with something in the heart of this rich young ruler. So number one, when people meet Jesus, as we look at the story, number one, he reveals the areas of our hearts that don't belong to him. He reveals the areas of our hearts, your heart, my heart, that don't belong to Jesus. And what's really interesting, when, G, when, when this young man asked Jesus the question, what must I do to in, inherit eternal life? Jesus says this, which seems strange. He says, well, you know the commandments. In other words, if you want to put it in our terms, he said this, well, um, duh, follow the law. Or, you know the commandments, goofball. You know them. Silly. Do the commandments. But if you think about that for a minute, what, what's the matter with that? Why would Jesus tell someone to keep the commandments to find eternal life? Because later in John chapter 5, or I don't know if it was later or not, I don't know the timeline, when religious Jewish leaders were asking, were talking to Jesus, Jesus looked to them, he said, listen, you, Jesus said this, you search the scriptures to find eternal life. But the scriptures testify about me. And let, in other words, unless you know me, it doesn't matter what you know of the scriptures, you won't find eternal life. Amen? You can quote it up, down, sideways. You can do it, obey it, jump through every hoop. But unless you understand the word of God from Genesis to Revelation points to the reality that Jesus is our only answer in life. He's your only hope. He's the only one who can transform you and change you because you can follow Jesus, be saved by Jesus, and not know the Bible at all when you first come to him. And so Jesus was provoking something in this young man's life. And he was provoking something deep in his heart. We all know that nobody, nobody, everyone say nobody, will ever make it into God's kingdom by obeying rules and regulations. You cannot have eternal life without Jesus Christ. I don't care who you are where you're from, what race you are, you cannot have eternal life without Jesus Christ. Scripture teaches that as clear as a bell. So what was Jesus doing? Why would Jesus say, well, well then follow rules and regulations? Well, here's the deal. 
At that time, every Jew at that moment, they could quote the Ten Commandments. Just boom. It's kind of like them counting the ten. One, two, three, five, seven, eight, nine, ten. Boom. There it is. It was ingrained in them. They grew up with it. it. It was a part of their rhetoric. They could quote it. They could say it. And there were actually, when you look at the Ten Commandments, they're divided into two sections. The first section is the area of how people relate to God. And so in other words, we should have no other gods before you. You don't worship idols. Um, You should never take God's name in vain. And you should remember the Sabbath. So that's us and our relation to God. That's what the first four are about. But then the next six commandments are about how we relate to other people. I don't know if you knew that or not. I don't know if you knew that God actually cares how you relate to other people. Good religious people, they think, no, no, God just cares how I relate to him. The rest of the people, they can just go and just stick it. They can do their own thing. How many have ran into someone like that? You're like, I'm, afraid. I'm sitting next to him. I don't want to raise my hand. <laughs> we think that our whole relationship is just about me and God, me and Jesus, my Bible, my prayer closet, and the rest, get away from me, people. That's not true. The Ten Commandments themselves, there were more commandments about how we connect with other people than it is about how we connect with God even. And so out of these six, the last six, Jesus intentionally left one of them out. And I don't know if you caught it or not. Jesus is so clever, isn't he? He's just like super clever, like the guy's smart, you know. He's God of the universe, I guess so. So it'd be like me saying this. Hey, listen, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to count to 10. 1, 2, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. And what would you be thinking? What happened to 3? That's what Jesus was doing. Let's look at him for a second. So he didn't give them an order, but he said this, don't murder. So he went through the list with a young ruler. Don't commit adultery. The guy's like, yep, yep, no, I got that one. Don't steal. Nope, haven't stole. Don't bear false witness or defraud. Nope, I don't do that either. Honor your father and mother. Yep, got that one. Have eternal life. Sorry. He thought, have eternal life. But so if I do those, I have eternal life. But then Jesus said, um, you're missing something. I don't know if you noticed, Jesus left out this, this one law about do not covet. It's the one he left out. That was the number, th- the number three that I left out. That was his number three. And the, to, to do not covet means you want more stuff. Jesus knew this was the man's problem. And so after Jesus rattled, rattled them off, and the guy said, I've got them all. I got it since I was a boy. And then Jesus said this, there's one thing you lack. So what was Jesus saying? In other words, this man already had a God in his life. And his God was gold, it was stuff, it was possessions, it was greed. And there's only one room, there's only room for one God on the throne of your life. And Jesus was putting his finger on it. Jesus was pointing out that he had a problem with greed. He had a problem with covetousness. But he didn't just come out and say it. He, it's Jesus, the master teacher, who, who tells a story and weaves a story. And in the middle of it, all of a sudden, the guy goes, oh, you forgot that one. And Jesus said, yes, I did. It's this idea of self-discovery that Jesus was leading this young man to. 
Just like all of, you know, many of us, you can tell someone all day long, um, listen, this is, this is a, an issue in your life. This is something you probably need to deal with. This is something, and they're like, well, I don't see it. I don't see it. I don't see it. I don't get it. Until they understand it themselves, it's like talking to a wall. Have you ever talked to someone like that? They're blinded to their, own, to their own brokenness. They're blinded to their own issues in their lives. And so when people meet Jesus, he begins to deal with things in your life, in my life, in this rich young ruler's life that, that, that we are looking to make us whole but will never do the job. And he begins to push on them. And so he allows situations, he allows circumstances, he allows relationships, he, he, he allows things to reveal the emptiness of the worth of whatever we're trying to access value from in our lives. And then he reveals it for what it really is. He pulls back the covers from whatever it is that we've, we are looking to to meet our needs and shows us how empty and worthless it really is. And it's in that moment that, that when we are broken, it's in the moment when we get it. He missed number three, that it hits us. And it's at that moment that Jesus begins to minister to us. And he begins to give us what can only satisfy us. Because we're all looking. Everyone say all. We're all looking for the thing that can satisfy us. Every one of us. Yeah, but Jason, I know not. I, I follow Jesus. I know. But there are moments that Jesus has to remind us, you're looking to something else to meet the need that only I can meet. Timothy Keller, who wrote a tremendous book, let me encourage you to get it and to read it slowly. It's called Counterfeit Gods. He wrote this, this is one of the quotes from his book. He said this, if we look to some creative thing to give us the meaning, hope, and happiness that only God himself can give, it will always eventually fail to deliver, and it will break our hearts. Jesus is like the doctor that you go to. I don't know if you've ever went to the doctor because you had an issue with, I remember I had an issue with my shoulder and I was trying to figure out what in the world's going on. I was sore all the time. I was in pain. So I, 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 I go to the, to, uh, to the doctor and uh, the guy starts jerking my shoulder around. And I think, I already told you it hurts. Ow! Can you do this? No, I can't do that. That's why I'm here. Press on this. Ow! Yep. I'll press on this. Oh, that hurts. Yep. Can you do this? I can't do that. Thank you very much. And you think, what, what is he doing? Or someone who presses around because you got a pain somewhere and they press and you're like, I, yeah, that hurts. Ow, that's, okay, I told you, it hurts. But you didn't realize how bad it hurt until the doctor had you do some exercises. So the doctor kind of started pressing around on you a little bit and then you realize, man, maybe I'm in worse shape than what I thought. Well, that's what Dr. Jesus does. He keeps probing us. He keeps pressing on us. He puts people in your life that probe us and press on us and poke you in the eye. He puts circumstances. He puts leaders over you. He puts leaders under you. 
He puts you in, with, with a, a person in a small group. He puts a baby crying out in the middle of certain. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Bless you, baby. I, that's still in fine. I'm just kidding. Love babies. <laughs> that's what Dr. Jesus does. He, he begins to deal with things in our lives. And we're like, ow. And that's what he does. Just like even right now as we process through this message, you're, you're, you're kind of thinking, hmm, the Holy Spirit's doing something in me right now. Gently leaning on you, gently pushing some things. And so what is, let me ask you, what is that thing? What is that person? Or what is that activity that's become more important to you than the one and true living God? What's become more important to you than being satisfied that, you know what, I'm a son of God or I'm a daughter of God. That's all that matters. Second thing that happens to us when people meet Jesus is number two, Jesus always gives a practical solution to our need. He just doesn't expose things in our lives. He just doesn't say, say, oh, there it is, good luck. He gives us a practical solution to deal with with what he's exposed, what he's pressed on, what he's pulled on, what, what he has led us to a place of self-discovery. Jesus said there's only one thing. This is interesting. When you think about this, there's only one thing this young ruler was lacking. And when I read that this week, I thought, just one thing? I thought, man, if, if I was the, the rich young ruler, Jesus would have said, Jason, there's just 400 things. <laughs> you need to, you lack it's just one thing. And, and what, he, what he tells this, this young man is actually something that's caused a lot of confusion in the body of Christ. It really has. This one verse, it's, it's, it has, people have taken it and they've used it. And so Jesus said this, this is the one thing. And so his, his practical solution is this for the one thing. Go and sell all you have and give it to the poor and follow me. A lot of people read this and they think, you know what, well, I, I want to obey God. I want to follow God. So I, so I need to go and sell everything I have. I need to give it all away. I need to take a vow of poverty and then I can follow Jesus. But he, here's the answer to that. You don't need to sell all your riches and your possessions to follow Jesus unless your riches and possessions have become the God of your life. But that was a solution for him. And here's what's even more interesting is that this is the only person to whom Jesus ever spoke these words and told to, go, to do this. Nicodemus, when Jesus met Nicodemus, which is a, another Bible story, he was a wealthy man. Joseph of Arimathea was a wealthy person that Jesus met. But Jesus never told them to sell their possessions because Jesus knew their possessions didn't possess them. Jesus looked into this young man's life, into his heart, and he saw that money was his God. Money was, at, was sitting on the throne of his life. And Jesus was giving him a practical, simple solution. This is how you need to deal with that God that's on your life because I'm not on the throne of your life. It's a false God. And Jesus, he, he, here's the other thing. Jesus designs unique Practical solutions for every person depending on what 
God is fighting for your heart. He does. One, because he's God. And two, because it's the, it's the one thing. And Jesus went on to do this in Luke 10. A lawyer came up to Jesus. And he, he asked the same question, this rich ruler. He said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus didn't say go and sell your possessions. Because he knew this man's, this man, the God on his heart, on the throne of his heart, was pride. This lawyer's issue was pride. Jesus asked them, well, what's the greatest commandment? The lawyer, the lawyer said this, love the Lord your God with all your, with all your being and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, yes, that's correct. And then the lawyer said one more thing to try to find a little loophole. He said, but who's my neighbor? You ever known somebody who just kind of tries to find a loophole? But who's my neighbor? How much is too much wine? How much is, what does really lust mean? Try to find a little loophole. And he, this, this guy wanted, wanted Jesus to say, well, your neighbors, it's just the Jewish people. It's just the Jewish brothers and the Jewish sisters. That's, those are your neighbors. But instead, Jesus went into this incredible, beautiful story about a good Samaritan which they were considered half-breeds. They were considered less than. They were considered just fringe people who couldn't even associate with the Jews at the time. And Jesus saw this man's issue was pride, so he said, love your neighbor, even your Gentiles, as your neighbor. In John 4, Jesus walks, runs into a Samaritan woman, meets a Samaritan woman at a well. And she said, Jesus, give me some living water. And Jesus didn't say, go and sell all you have. He didn't say, go and love your neighbor. Because the problem was, she was, she was loving too many of her neighbors. I'm sorry. And Jesus said, go and call your husband. She said, I don't have a husband. And he said, you're right. You've had five husbands. And the, and the man you're living with now is not your husband either. Jesus was pointing out she already had a God in her life. It was the, the God of unhealthy desire for acceptance by a man or, or the God of lust or whatever that God is. It wasn't the one true living God. But later, after she embraced Jesus and put Jesus on the throne of her life, she became an evangelist in her own village. She began telling people, you got to come and meet this man, Jesus. Her life was changed. She put Jesus on the throne of her life, and she began a, a ministry that ministered to many, many people. That's what happens when you put Jesus on the throne of your life. And many times we try, we try to fix the symptoms of, of this false God that sits on the throne of our lives. It might be a substance for you to try to find a, a counterfeit peace, whatever that may be. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's pain pills that a doctor gave to you and, and you probably should stop taking them. And for some reason you keep trying to scrap around and try to find more pain pills because you think that gives you peace. It's a counterfeit peace. Might be the, the, the amount of alcohol that you're drinking, and, and it's, it's, yes, but I'm just, I, ju I just need to relax. That is counterfeit peace. 
Whatever substance it is that you're trying to use, it could be food, it could be anything that you're trying to meet this, yes, but it makes me feel peace. And God would say it's a counterfeit peace. And we think the issue is the substance or the issue is what we're using or the issue is, 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 is what we're dealing with or, or whatever that may be. And we can try to spin it. We can try to do And listen to me, men, for a moment. An image on a computer will never satisfy the intimacy that you're desiring. It'll never do it. It's counterfeit intimacy. It's a God of this world that has tried to make its home in your heart and make you think, that's what I need. And you can make as many excuses as you want. Yes, but my, my marriage isn't, isn't what it should be and the intimacy in my marriage. And you can make every loophole just like the lawyer. But who's my neighbor? And what's, I'm telling you, it is, it is the, the demonic world trying to rule and set its, its throne on your heart. And you will never, ever, ever be satisfied. Whatever that may be. God wants the throne of your heart. Maybe the issue is pride. You think, you think money will make you more happy. You think sex will make you more happy. You, th- you, you think power will really make you be respected. And all of these are false gods that will never satisfy you. God accepted you for who you are, but he loves you too much to leave you as you are. We serve a good God who wants to dethrone every false God of our hearts and place on our hearts the only God that can meet our needs and satisfy us. Amen? Amen. Number three, when people meet Jesus, he offers you a full life, but he won't force you to take it. Jesus said to this young man, go and sell all your possessions and come and follow me. And Mark is the only one that gives us this this understanding that, that Jesus spoke to this young man. He said that he loved him. He loved him. He had a heart for him. He believed God's best for him. He wanted him to actually, he didn't say come and follow me knowing that he wouldn't follow him. He said come and follow me. He gave them the opportunity. And that's something we need to understand that God loves you. He just doesn't love people. He loves you. He loves what's going on in your heart. He, he is intimate. He, he knows you by name. He, he's been with you at the darkest of hours and your highest of, of peaks in your life. He knows you. And he loves you. And he cares for you. And this man had an, an amazing invitation. Come and follow me. Some scholars believe that he was inviting this man to become one of his actual disciples. Because Every other time that Jesus called people to come and follow him, it was as he was calling a disciple. And he was calling this rich, this guy had a lot, rich, young, and he was a ruler. The trifecta. He had youth, he had wealth, and he had power. Anything he wanted. He could go to any restaurant he wanted to go to. He could go on any cruise, anywhere, at any time. With a balcony and room service. 
I mean, this guy had it all. And he said, give it up and become a follower of me. And what if he would have said yes? I don't know if you ever thought about that. We might be reading even something today that was written by this young, young ruler, but actually what we're reading about his mistake instead. His inability to remove the God on his heart and place the only one true God on his heart. And that's the deal with God, is that God is, he is all-powerful, he is all-knowing, but he has limited his power to your free will to choose him. He will reveal, he will show you the life that you can live, but he won't force you to live it. Number four, when people meet Jesus, he shows us we can do nothing without him. He reveals how empty we are, and then he offers us his help. So here is Jesus talking to this man about the God of his heart, which was money. And he says this, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Now, Jesus is making a joke here. He's, he's, he's using this extreme language. Took the largest animal in Israel, took the smallest man-made thing, and it was like, yep, you're right, not going to happen. And he's making a point. So what is the point of the joke? So Jesus was, was pointing out that when you have everything you need, it can be very difficult to enter God's kingdom because you think you have everything that you need in life. There isn't a deep sense of, of God, I'm desperate for you. God, I, I need you to come through for me. It's just everything like, well, what do you mean I need more of God? My life is really good. What do you mean I need to surrender? Why do I need to surrender, man? I got, every, I got the house. I got the car. I got the savings. I, got, I, I go on cruises just like the rich young ruler. What do I need more of God for? I believe that's what he's talking about here. I believe that's one of the issues probably with the church in America. Not to, not to feel bad of God's prosperity, not at all. But when we start to rely on prosperity, instead of relying on God, we lose this thing what's called the power of God. That's why I, I can go to a third world country, I can pray for the sick, and they will be healed. Why? Because God's all they have. Because he's, he's their source. I remember I walked up to a lady in a, in a village in Thailand who could not see. I was with a, a team here from, from, the, from the church. Walked up to her. She came up to the guy we were working with, Ajay, and she says, I can't see. We prayed for her. He said, can you see? She said, yes, I can. Thank you, and walks away. God was all she had. And the point God is making is this, is don't let your possessions, the the comfortableness of life, numb you from your, your need to know more of this living God who wants to transform you and change you and activate his faith and power through your life. That's what Jesus is talking about here. What are you trusting in today? Is there a competing God for your life? And number five, when people meet Jesus, he reveals that no matter how impossible a life change feels, Jesus has the power to do it. Amen? Amen. Jesus has the power to do it. 
The disciples were under the impression that if you were wealthy, it meant that you were godly. That's, they were under the impression. And after, after Jesus said this, after this rich young ruler, he said, well, it's impossible for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Jesus wasn't talking about someone who was blessed and had wealth. He was talking about someone whose, whose wealth and money was the God of their life. They said, but they, they, talk, they thought it was the other way around. So they said, well, then who can be saved if the rich person can't be saved? In other words, the disciples still didn't get it. <laughs> and Jesus answered with this incredible truth, with men, it is impossible. But all things are possible with God, including getting a camel through the eye of a needle. God specializes in miracles. He specializes in you facing a situation that even now as I've talked today, you think, Jason, I don't know how to dethrone that God on my life. You're right, it's there. That's your first step of acknowledging that God has pressed on you. He's pulled on your shoulder a little bit. You go, ow. And you begin to see that there is a God on the throne of your heart that isn't Jesus. Doesn't mean you don't love Jesus. It doesn't mean that you, you, you don't pray. It doesn't mean you're, you're not faithful. It just means along the journey of life, you've began to get your needs met, your satisfaction, your security. There's something outside of Jesus. Instead of seeing Jesus as the provider, you see yourself as the provider. Instead of seeing Jesus as the one who satisfies you, no matter how intimate your marriage is or not, you begin to go somewhere else to get satisfied. Instead of Jesus being the center of your core beliefs, you think the attention of someone else outside of my marriage sure does make me feel good. A Facebook conversation with an old boyfriend or a girlfriend sure does make me feel good. And Jesus is saying, keep me on the throne of your heart. Keep me on the throne of your heart. Whatever it is you're dealing with today, God is the God of miracles. All through Scripture, you have God who who takes, he, He brings people to the place of like, I need you. And He said, That's all I'm, I've just been waiting for you to say that. I'm tired of compromising. He just says, That's what I've been waiting for you to say. Will you place me on the throne of your heart? Will you stop looking to the acceptance of man, the acceptance of people, power, money, prestige? Whatever it may be. And let me enough 
for you. And what's interesting about this whole thing is that the moment that we place Jesus on the throne of our hearts, we go, why did I wait so long? This is what I've been looking for. And the woman at the well who Jesus said, if you drink from that water, he was pointing to the physical well, which demonstrates the things that we, that we have in this world. If you drink from that, you're going to get thirsty again. And you can drink from that cup, and it will never satisfy you. Just keep drinking. Maybe if I drink another one. Maybe if I have something else in the world. Maybe if I, maybe if I do this. But he says, but if you drink from what I'm offering you, you'll never be thirsty again. You'll never go searching again. I want to be on the throne of your life so that you can live the life you actually want. And you can be satisfied. You can be whole. You can have peace. And no matter what circumstances happen in your life, whether you're rejected, whether you're cheated on, whether financially things go down or they go up, your security remains the same. Jesus, you're the leader of my life. In every storm and every pain and every rejection and every, every difficult situation I walk through, you define me. Nothing and no one else does. And he becomes the ruler of our lives. We hope that this message has spoken something personal to you. If you would like more information about our church family or service times, please call us at 303-424-2121 or visit us at our website, www.fbci.org. Faith Bible Chapel currently meets in our Family Worship Center located on the corner of 62nd Avenue and Ward Road.